Welcome to uh, my podcast. I'm Dr. John Lanou, uh, a retired Baptist preacher, sort of retired. <laughs> anyway, uh, God's been so good through the years and a scripture that has just really, uh, just really bugged me for what it did for years was Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, those who are called according to his purpose. Well, that was an amazing scripture to me. And uh, then James chapter uh, 1, verse 2 says, uh, count it all joy when you're, when you're put into, into crises or into, into uh, heavy circumstances, so to speak. It was just, I thought, count it joy when you're, when you're in trouble, when you're hurting. Then I discovered through the years, as I have looked back from my standpoint, <laughs> Uh, by the way, my standpoint, um, I'll be 89 in 48 days. Um, and I look back and I, I see that the only time I've been able to know the power of God in its fullness is when my power is exhausted. Or when my leadership is at its end, he's the one that picks up the trail and takes me on. You see... I've discovered that adversity is God's university. That's where we learn to walk with him. And in James, it talks about developing uh, the, uh, the patience that we need. And sure enough, that's, that's what this was all about. Um, to give you an example, I found the dark clouds in my life. As I look back over my lengthy history, I've had a lot of black clouds. But the black clouds have turned out to be silver lining, silver, silver land. It's just been an amazing thing. I'd gone through three divorces by the time I was 14. Talk about a black cloud. Oh my goodness. When my dad left in 1938 for the first time, it was, uh, just, it broke my heart so heavily. I felt so guilty. I had all sorts of emotions that you don't know that a child has in a divorce. Am I not loved anymore? You know, it's all sorts of things uh, coming into their mind. And I related this to um, a speaker, a Christian uh, conference leader, Dr. Chester Swore, who was a, a professor at uh, Mississippi College. And he said, John, you've got to write this down. If you don't write it down, no one will ever know because people just don't understand how a child feels. But this is so fresh in your mind and heart. Uh, you've got you have to capture this, so it can be so it can help others. Well, I was 22. I started writing that uh, that book, so to speak. And when I got to year 14 in my writing, I I was unearthing uh, feelings and emotions that hurt so badly that I couldn't continue. I had to stop. So I put it in a file and I didn't complete it until I was 72, 50 years later. That's how deep the pain was. But when I did finish it, the silver lining was it, uh, it has been helpful to other people to understand the child's problems. And I wrote the book called Divorcing? Question mark remember me and it talks about how a child is is torn up by by divorce and what happens in his life
uh, several law lawyers have told me that they needed this for their some of their clients. Well, my mother decided when I was about seven, seven, I needed a, a stepfather. I needed a father. What she didn't know was nothing could replace my daddy. Uh, I never could call the man she married uh, dad. I always called him Pop. Uh, he was a, an alcoholic and um, also in the Merchant Marines. And his his skills were not only uh, being a seaman, but he, he loved carpentry. And he taught me the skills of using wood tools and um, and how to work with the uh, rules and things and, and uh, to make make, make uh, different items. He built he built uh, bunk beds. He built uh, uh, cabinets. It's just amazing what all he taught me about carpentry. I was eager to learn. But it was a rough time because he was very jealous of me with my mother. And uh, he, uh, when he would get drunk, which was pretty frequently, uh, it would come out and I'd go hide someplace in my private place where I could be away and out of the line of fire. Well, my father returned in, um, when I was 12 years old. Mom, mom and, and had divorced again. And, my father returned when I was about maybe 11, 11 to 12. And uh, he was a heavy drinker also, but he, he was a born teacher. His motto was every, every man needs, needs a trade. So dad would teach me every day when he came in from work, he would clean up and, say, and teach me things about mechanics and about blacksmithing and ironworking. And uh, it was just amazing what all what all we were able to do and uh, what all he taught me. And uh, this, uh, oh my, he, uh, he also taught me how to hunt and fish, how to, uh, how to camp, <laughs> a lot of uh, outdoors things, which I, I needed later. But when dad left when I was 14, it left me an emotional wreck. I mean, I was absolutely torn up. He packed his suitcase while I watched him, tried, begged him not to go. He didn't say a word, just closed his suitcase, no handshake, no kiss, no hug, just walked out the door. And when that door slammed, my emotions went nuts. I was so guilty feeling because I couldn't stop him, angry because he left, and feeling sad because I, he was unhappy, and I knew that. Well, the black cloud came here again, writing that book. That episode was in the book, but also years, years to come, all the skills he taught me were necessary in my life. Actually, it was a, he did a father's blessing that he didn't realize he did. That really set me free. Uh, I was almost 14, lived in Galveston, we were walking down the street. It was Market Street. And I was headed for a, we were headed for a movie. He and Mom were behind me, and I heard him tell my mother, "You know, honey, I love that boy, and I don't care if he grows up to be a an engineer with making a lot of money, or if he turns out to be a hobo with holes in his pockets. That's my boy, and I love him, folks. I can't tell you how that set me free to do anything that I felt I needed to do." 
and I would have his approval. <laughs> wow, it was a that was a, a, a silver lining there, but all the skills he taught me later came into play to relieve people's needs all over the world. When uh, when he uh, left at, at fourteen, uh, and I was this emotional mess, I really found relief in a contact sport in football. My coach had seen me in a, a brawl with some bullies that uh, I sent packing, and he said, uh, John, uh, why don't you on our football team? Are you a coward? I said, no, nobody ever asked me. I didn't tell him I had never seen a football game in my life, never held a football, didn't know anything about it. Well, he brought me on as a, a, a player, <laughs> And uh, I learned I learned the skills, and it was so wonderful. You could just knock the fire out of somebody, and they would think that's wonderful, you know. So it was uh, it was kind of a silver lining in that black cloud that helped me uh, deal with my my anger and things during those days. And when I was a junior in high in high school, in one football game, I I broke my arm, and uh, I went back to the huddle, and my buddy, my closest friend. I told him, well, I think I broke my arm. And he, he laughed, yeah, yeah, you did. I thought, well, it must not be serious if he laughs. So I tucked my thumb in my pants or in my belt so the arm wouldn't flop. And I played the second half of the game. That was a very black cloud, believe me. But the silver lining was when the, <laughs> when the referee came up to me after the game and said, John, did you hurt your arm? I said, yes, sir, I broke it. You what? I broke it. You played the half a game with a broken arm? I said, yes, sir. Oh, my. <laughs> well, the silver lining was that action got me four scholarships, four scholarship offers from his brother, who was under, who was the coach at, at uh, Idaho State University, and, uh, and then Baylor and uh, Harden-Simmons and the SFA. And when I, when I went to play at SFA, I, uh, I was, uh, I, I was, it's hard to explain this, but I, in my sophomore year, I made first string my first year. In my second year, it was during spring training, a fellow, we were playing uh, tackle and things, and the fellow misunderstood the directions. He hit me full, full, full bore. <laughs> on my right arm where the neck and the shoulder go together and pinched the nerves there that paralyzed my left arm. And, uh, oh man, it just broke me up because the doctor said, you can't play football anymore. One more lick like that and you'll be paralyzed. That black cloud hung over me heavily because I had I was on scholarship. I told the coach about it. He talked to the doctor. He said, John, I'll keep you on scholarship, but you can't play anymore. Well, that, um, that was a black cloud, but the silver lining was because I would spend more time at the Baptist Student Center now, uh, one of the girls there said, John, you're called to preach, aren't you? I said, yeah, I sure am. Well, our church doesn't have a pastor. I said, really? He said, yeah, would you, could you preach for our Sunday? And I said, sure. So I preached at this little country church. I mean, <laughs> rural would be a compliment. 
And uh, it turns out that they had a preacher on the first and third Sunday of each month. They couldn't afford one full time. And so uh, they asked me if I would be their pastor. And I said, well, yes, I, I felt like God really was in this because that's what my, my calling was. Well, it uh, happened that another little church called me, country church also, and said, you're the pastor at uh, Sackle, first and third Sunday? Yeah. Well, whoever's pastor there is usually pastor of our church, too. We meet on the second and fourth Sundays of each month. <laughs> Pretty soon, I was a full-time pastor of two half-time churches. And the BSU, the Baptist Student Union, was uh, doing uh, Friday night missions at a black church that didn't have a pastor. So they asked me to, to preach. And I would preach every Friday night at that uh, black church. I tease, but it's not a tease, really. They taught me how to preach. Oh, man. They would talk to me. <laughs> so the silver lining of that black cloud of the injury really put me into ministry earlier than I ever expected. The only problem with being 19 years old and being uh, a, a pastor of these churches was uh, anyone that had an eligible daughter looked at, at, a, at a preacher as possibilities. <laughs> I would just after you always went home with the family after after service on Sunday to have lunch and I'd say, Oh, these biscuits are delicious. Oh, my daughter did that. Or I'd be at a home and I'd say, Oh, this this beef stew is wonderful. Oh, my daughter did that. So I'm feeling a little pressure and I began to pray, Lord, I need a wife. And here I'm only nineteen years old. I'm almost eighteen, I'm almost twenty, but nineteen. I'm praying, Lord, I need a wife. I needed to find somebody who's called to be a preacher's wife. And I, I prayed. I even gave God dimensions. I really knew what I wanted, but uh, he didn't pay any attention to me. He did what he wanted to do. Uh, we, uh, in the Baptist Student Center on my birthday, September 25th, 1954, uh, a young lady was brought in by a friend of mine to just to visit the Baptist Student Center. Her face was had Vaseline on it where she had, had some fire close <laughs> and her hair was singed in front. And I didn't know at the time that she was the exhibitionist twirler for our band, our uh, SFA. And that was her scholarship to teach the majorettes. And I didn't realize at the time that she came to the SFA from West Texas where she had been working on scholarship there at Odessa College. And she had been Miss West Texas in a contest there, and had been Miss Texas, Miss Texas, uh, uh, the uh, well, Miss Talent in the Miss Texas contest. And here she was at our school doing these things. I didn't know any of that. Uh, I just know that I met her, and we howdied, and hello, and how are you? And uh, on that was on Saturday, my birthday. On Monday, the band boys kept brought her through the BSU on the way up to the dormitory because she had sprained her ankle. I said, put her down. She only weighed 105 pounds, and goodness gracious, I was lifting weights and boxing and wrestling and, of course, had been playing football. So they put her down, and I checked her ankle, and it wasn't broken but sprained. I promised to wrap it for her if she'd get permission every day, and she did. And I'd go help her down the stairs and help her to class. And every Every time we were together, it was it was really a, a kind of a spiritual moment. Um, 
when I finally had the courage to ask her for a date, uh, every date we had turned into a prayer meeting or a Bible study. Well, I'm a Cajun and I'm used to a little romance. And I asked the Lord, uh, what about this? And he said, keep your hands off of her. Oh, man. <laughs> Here I was, a beautiful woman. And, and and we're dating. And okay, Lord, I'll, I'll obey you. I'll keep my hands off her. I won't, I won't get romantic with her. Well, when she made her commitment to Christ to be a, pre a preacher's wife, <laughs> I'd known her three weeks. When she was going down the aisle, I prayed, Lord, is this the one? And I got a divine, mm-hmm. So the black cloud was starting to show some silver because that night I asked her if she would marry me, and she said, yes, she would. You see, what I did not realize was that her calling was so different from anything she'd ever done that she'd been hesitating until our dates turned into such uh, such wonderful spiritual times together. Well, I asked her to marry me. She said she would. Then I kissed her for the first time. Ah, wow. <laughs> I still remember that one. <laughs> you see, uh, what I didn't know was that um, she had been a ballerina with the opera in St. Louis since she was 14 years old, 14 till she was 18. And she had two dancing schools in East St. Louis. She was a, a certified ballet and a tap teacher from Chicago Dance Masters Association. When I asked her years later, I said, honey, if I had come on to you romantically, what would you have done? She said, I wouldn't have married you. I said, what? She said, no. She said, by the time I was 14, Till I met you, I'd been fighting men off all my life. And I'm, I, I, I didn't want that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, my goodness, obedience is the key <laughs> to being one of, to be getting God's favor and his answered prayers. Wow. Well, it's just amazing what, what God did and how he worked with us through the, through the years. We were married 67 years, by the way. Uh, maybe go back to high school a minute. I flunked Spanish, and oh my, that was so disappointing. I'd never been whipped by anything, <laughs> and to flunk Spanish, it took me out of the running for the uh, valedictorian, and uh, oh man, they put me in mechanical drawing. I thought, oh goodness gracious. Well, and that which is now drafting, <laughs> uh, in that course, I learned to draw uh, machines and, and do different drawings in, in engineering. And later, when I was building emotion, uh, building um, medical clinics and disaster relief units, those skills came in to play. I needed them desperately and did not know it. The silver cloud was God was getting me ready for what he wanted me to do. But that's not all. When um, when I, I walked with God in that in that area, uh, I went to college, and uh, I was so upset by flunking Spanish that I minored in Spanish in college. I was not going to let it get away from me. But it's that silver lining. I was able to design all those disaster relief units and mobile clinics for the Baptist missionaries. Ah. Uh, 
Man, it's amazing how God uses so many things to get you into his into his will, working, being obedient to him. The thing about it, folks, obedience is the key. Obedience. When I was called to preach, I stuttered real bad. And I, I was working in a foundry, and my my boss, the man that owned it, was a tremendous Christian. And I told him, I said, Mr. Worley, I, th I think God's called me to preach. I, I couldn't believe it with my speech problem. He said, wonderful. I said, no, it's not. I want to be a metallurgist. He said, no, you don't. Here's the key. You want to do what God wants you to do. I thought, well, it's God. Yeah, I sure do. In six weeks, the stuttering cleared up. I'd been studying since I was four. The stuttering cleared up. And those words, you don't want to do what you want to do. You want to do what God wants you to. Has those, that sentence has been the key to my life with God all these years. I was saved when I was 16 years old. Uh, I'd been working all summer uh, in Alabama. My mother said I needed a man's influence, so she put me, sent me to live with her cousin in Alabama for the summer. He was, uh, he had uh, a shade tree garage, sort of, in a junkyard in a used car lot. It's hard to tell the used car lot from the junkyard, really. But anyway, I was 15 years old. I was there, and I was driving a wrecker. I had special license. And I was overhauling engines, which my daddy had taught me how to do. And my main job, though, was to keep the bootleggers' cars running faster than the feds. Then later, when the, when the feds began to race each, when the uh, bootleggers began to race each other, uh, they called it NASCAR. And uh, so that's that uh, kind of a silver lining in that, <laughs> because when I when I came home, I was. Uh, I had a, I bought an old car out of a junkyard, and I was living with my grandparents, and I, I helped them keep meat on the table. I would go hunting at night, and with my shotgun, and shoot rabbits around in the oil fields. Well, one night, I just turned sixteen. I was, I'd been hunting most of the night. It was midnight. I stopped and I was tired. I got in the back of my old car, back seat, sat down and tried to open, well, I did open a, a, a hot beer. In those days, we didn't have coolers and all that sort of stuff. And you didn't have, you had to punch a hole in the can. And I lit a cigarette. And I was sitting in the back seat and I went to take a sip of that warm beer. And when I did, it hit me. I'm becoming just like what I hate because I've had a alcoholic stepfather and an alcoholic father and I'm becoming just like what they what they were. I hate that. So I threw the beer out the window, put the cigarette out, got in the front seat and drove home. About two weeks later, two men from First Baptist Church, Beaumont, came into my home. Both of them were salesmen used car salesman and a salesman for Comet Rice Mills. And they told me about Jesus and talked to me about getting saved and about how to trust Christ. And that when they asked me, are you a Christian? Immediately, the folks in Alabama who were really sold out believers, 
came to mind and I thought, I'm not like them. I'm definitely not a Christian. So they led me to Jesus that night. And as they were leaving, the uh, used car salesman leaned back and he said, John, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, now you are a new creature in Christ. You can become anything God wants you to be. Folks, all the black clouds that were behind me suddenly shone bright, silver linings. God had brought me to this point. And when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, all of a sudden, instead of looking in the rearview mirror of my life to see how bad things were, he gave me a windshield where I could see what God could do with my life. It was a marvelous time. You see, that's how God works. He works in ways that you don't understand sometimes. I've discovered lately, or not lately, but I've discovered <laughs> that when I pray, some, sometimes the answer to that prayer, God started doing it years before. And I had no idea that that he was orchestrating these, th these things. But God is the great orchestrator. I hope this has helped you understand that when you're in trouble and the clouds are black, don't give up. Just give in to Jesus and pray for him to guide you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.